Well, this morning we're going to look in several different Gospels about um, Jesus before Pilate. And uh, I want to say to you this morning, the, the reason we're going to spend the whole class on this is, is he's before Pilate and before Herod, um, is that when you look at theology and you look at um, our, our culture and, and you uh, look at the foundational truths of the Bible, Pilate declares Jesus innocent three times. And uh, that's important. And so there, when people want to dismiss the claims of Christ, uh, they dismiss him as just a rebel rouser who got in trouble with Rome and was put to death. And that all the other prophecies were manufactured after his life to, to fit his life and that there's really no truth to it. And then what we also need to know and what we need to remember theologically is that um, that. Christ died innocently. He was the lamb without blemish. Uh, just as prophesied throughout Scripture beginning in Genesis that he, he is without blemish. There was no sin in him. There was no uh, moral sin. There was no political sin. There, there was no recrimination against him at all. He was a spotless, sinless Savior and uh, worthy uh, to be the sacrifice that would that would justify and um, and nullify the wrath of God upon those who would believe. And so, theologically, more than just the detail, this is important important passage of scripture. And I wanted you to think about that this morning as as we go through it. The details are important; they're interesting, but um, the significance of them. Uh, overrides just the details themselves. The details can get confusing because not every gospel writer deals with each of the issues, and that's why we're going to kind of jump around this morning. And if you have your Bible, you follow it, or they'll be on the screen as we go from one to the other. But read with me in verse 1 of chapter 15 of Mark. Immediately in the morning, uh, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes, the whole council, and they bound Jesus, led him away, and delivered him to Pilate. And then Jesus is going to be, in C.S. Lewis's words, in the dock. So he's going to be the defendant in this trial. And the truth is, Herod and Pilate are the ones who are in the dock. Uh, they're standing before the truth incarnate. Uh, they're standing before their creator, and they believe that they're judging him. But uh, he, uh, they're judging themselves. Paul uses the term saying about people that they judge themselves to be unworthy of grace. And that's what they did on this occasion. So look with me now in John chapter 18. And we pick up the story here in verse 28. We see the hypocrisy of the Jewish leaders. Then they led Jesus from campus to the uh, praetorium. It was early morning, and they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they, should, that, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. 
That wasn't lawful for them, but they did do that. Remember, they were going to stone Stephen uh, not long after this, and then they tried to kill Paul in the temple, so they could get by with it, but they, they remember what's going on, where we've been the last few, few weeks, is that they feared the crowd. They feared, especially the Jewish people that would have come from Galilee, um, and I, think, I want you to think this morning, there's going to be a crowd here that attends this trial, but these are probably Jerusalem people. Uh, the, the crowds from Galilee, they couldn't all stay in Jerusalem, so they would stay in the countryside, and they probably would not have arrived early in the morning. And so this was probably about sunlight. That's when the Romans started their day. So this was probably about sunlight. So it was early in, in the morning. And so they formulated this charge, and they're, they're changing the charge. See, if you remember, the council found... Jesus blasphemous because he said he was God. And he said he was the Son of God, which is the same thing. And they charged him with blasphemy and that said that's worthy of death. But that's not worthy of death in a Roman court. Uh, the Romans had many gods and one more didn't matter. And I want you to think about this time. See, Pilate knew of Jesus of Nazareth. Pilate knew what was going on in his... In his um, authority, under his authority, he would have been very aware that the crowds went to hear Jesus speak. He would have known his name. He would have known some, something about it. If he would have known that he was a healer, that he was a prophet, that he or claimed to be a prophet, or, or was spoken of as a prophet, maybe was Elijah. See, they would have, they would have known, he would have known these things, and, and he never felt Rome was threatened up until this point. And then we're going to read in, in John again, after, after a little bit, that he understood the Jewish leadership brought Jesus to him out of envy. That they wanted to put him to death out of envy. So Pilate's no, uh, he, he didn't get off the turnip truck. He, he knows what's going on. But he is in a rock and a hard place between uh, Caesar. See, Pilate, already, when you read Josephus' history, Pilate had already been in trouble for, for, for aggravating the Jewish people. They had already sent a delegation to Rome against him, and Caesar had rebonished him. Uh, keep peace, you know, don't be picky. And or There was over some images on shields that he had put in, uh, the, in, in, in Jerusalem. And so, he, see, so Rome was telling him, pacify the Jewish people. And so now he has this crowd led by the priests, and he is under pressure and he knows what he's doing is not right. Uh, he's going to declare Jesus innocent three different times. But at the same time, he, feeling this pressure, is going to give in to it. So he says to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. Pilate's saying, I don't want anything to do with this. And then they said to him, it's not lawful for us, but he wanted death. Then in verse 32, John gives a little commentary he said that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. If, if the Jews had killed him, they would have stoned him. But he had already, Jesus had already prophesied that he would be taken by the Romans and would be crucified. And, it, and why is that? Why did it have to be, why would it have to be crucified? Uh, 
again, you go in the Old Testament, you find that he who is hung on a tree is cursed. And he was going to be, to be hung on the cross as being the same as hung on a tree, and where, where he'd be mocked before basically the world on this, on this entryway into Jerusalem, and before the priests and everyone else who's interested in seeing and his family. And he, he was going to become a curse, more than just dying because he happened to be um, judged by the Sanhedrin. He's going to become a curse for the world, not only for the Jewish world, but for uh, the Gentile world represented by the Romans. So this is why he's necessary for him to go to the cross. And also, as a side note, it is the most cruel and inhuman punishment and to put a, the way to put a person to death uh, the, the most drawn out, painful, agonizing uh, that you could ever, ever imagine. And I don't think we could imagine. I have read descriptions by medical doctors about what would have taken place on the cross. And then they, and then they surmise that if you're hanging without in the flies and all the things, and we'll deal a little bit with that next week and maybe give you a, a little bit of the sense of the agony of the cross that he's on, not to mention the physical agony. And so here, uh, Pilate didn't want to deal with them. Uh, he knows they delivered him out of envy, but they pressure him. Read in verse 33. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Jesus is not being... Uh, he, he's not being aggravating. He's not. Uh, he's not putting down Pilate in any sense. But he's saying, "Do you suspect this? Do you think this? Are you accusing me of this, or is this what you heard others say of me?" And Pilate answered, "Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. But what have you done?" And Jesus answered, "This." My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. I have several thoughts about that. When Jesus said my servants would fight, I'm sure the angelic host were waiting for the word. They would have loved to have fought. They, They would have come in an instant and simply destroyed everything there they would have knocked flat all the hills of Judea and they could have done it in in an instant Jesus didn't even need them he could have done it himself by just speaking a word but what he's saying to Pilate is he's saying there is a kingdom not given by earthly power see Pilate was a representative of the earthly power uh, prophesied by Daniel you know 700 years prior so so he, he is representative of the Gentile world powers. And, and Jesus is saying to him, there is a kingdom outside of world power. There is a kingdom that you're not controlling and that is not made with hands. It, it's not, it doesn't come from human authority. <clears throat> and, you know, I want, to say, I want to say, think about political. See, we're living in a time that our political situation, both, both, both parties, I'm not talking about one party, but both parties, they're, they're not recognizing that our 
that our, and I won't say religious rights, but I, I should say Christian rights, that our Christian rights do not come from the government. We don't have a right to preach the gospel because the government says so, whether it's Republican or Democrat or the Whig Party or whoever. We don't have, that right doesn't come from them. The right of our own moral authority doesn't come from the government. It comes from God. It comes from the kingdom made without hands. It supersedes the kingdoms of men. And we need to remember that because we get into trouble when we think that we have liberty given to us by the government. And we want to defend the liberty given to us by the government. Later on, this is so important, I didn't put it in the notes, but later on, Peter, I mean, Paul is going to say to Timothy that you to witness a good confession before the world as Jesus did before Pilate. And this is what he's referring to, that Jesus witnessed the right confession before Pilate. Jesus, what, what Jesus witnessed to Pilate for, for all of eternity and for all the world to know, anyone who wants to read the Scripture, the importance of this theologically is he's saying that I am of a kingdom that doesn't come from man. And if you would recognize that, you're, you're going to know that's the tr- that is truth. And, and Pilate doesn't get it, and most of the world doesn't get it. Uh, Paul gets it, and he says to Timothy that you witnessed this good faith witness, and that's what we need to do. We need to witness to our world, and the, and the people we talk with is not the rights that we have as citizens of the United States. We need to talk to them about the rights and authority we have as citizens of heaven, that we belong to God, and we are His citizens, we are His children, first of all. And that, that knowledge sets us free to suffer persecution without bitterness and without anger, and, and to accept it, and accept it as a part of what happened to our Lord and what will happen to, to us as well if we are in that situation. So then I, uh, we read this, Pilate, verse 37, said, Therefore say, said to him, Are you a king then? And Jesus answered, You say rightly that I'm a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And what is the truth? The truth is that God is the sovereign over all creation. The truth is that God is holy, that that God has a right to judge. The truth that he bears witness to is that God holds mankind accountable, that Christ has to come to die to pay the penalty so that salvation would be available. No one can save themselves. No one can keep the law, the Jewish law, and save themselves. We can't keep any Gentile laws and save ourselves. But the truth is, is that God is holy and righteous and demands that his wrath be justified. We, we don't hear much about that anymore, but his, his wrath is real, and his wrath is against those who are in rebellion against him, and the rebellion is simply refusing to believe. The rebellion is that we will not submit our heart. An unbeliever will not submit their heart to, to believe and to humble themselves before God. That is rebellion. Now, you know, we, we have a tendency to think, of sin and categories of how wicked it is morally. And, and it is wicked morally, and there are categories of sin, but that's not what God's concerned about primarily. What he's concerned about primarily is that do you believe and do you worship? 
and, and then the others follow after that. And so it, it's really, really interesting. And this is what Jesus said. This is his witness before God and before mankind. This is the truth. He is witnessing to the truth. That's very, very significant in, in our, our world. My kingdom is not from here, but for this cause I was born. So he was born of a woman, made under the law, Galatians 4.4. 4. But then he said, and for this reason, I came into the world. And, and the wording in the Greek, and I'm not a Greek scholar, but I just read after them. But the wording is that I existed, but I came into the world. And again, he's speaking of his deity before. Jesus didn't originate at his birth. And there are perversions of Christianity who, who say that, that he, and, and there are perversions of Islam, said, you know, he became a man at his birth. He became, that's when he became. And even if he's special man, but that's when he originated was at his birth. Uh, no, he came into the world. He was already alive. He was already who he was, but he simply came into the world. Again, it's a, it's a major point of theology. Uh, people have died for that point uh, over, over the years, and it's a great separation of, 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 of what you believe about him. And then Pilate responded, verse 38, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no fault in him at all. No fault at all. He's not seditious. He's not in rebellion. Uh, none of the charges that you've brought are, are true. I find no fault in him at all. And while this is happening, Judas, uh, we go to Matthew chapter 27. Judas is, has some remorse and goes back before uh, the priests. Verse 3. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful. So Judas probably had heard about the council uh, before the Sanhedrin. He, he was remorseful, brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What is that to us? You see to it that he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple, departed, and went and hanged himself. But the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful to put them in the treasury because they are the price of blood. And they consulted together and brought with them the potter and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers. And then Matthew makes this comment comment, therefore that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled that was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced whom they of the children of Israel priced, and they gave them to the potter's field, gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. So, Matthew is making it clear, this is a fulfillment of Scripture. This is a fulfillment of prophecy. And I, I, I put a word in the notes about, about Judas. Uh, sometimes you get questions. Make no mistake, uh, Judas... Um, the Lord knew that he was going to betray him. And so we think, did Judas have a choice? Did he have free will? And then here's a point of theology. And if you went through the theological classes we did years ago on, on the Tuesday nights, and, and, and some of you went through them for a year, I mean, you, you may remember that you have free will according to your nature. 
Okay, before you come to Christ, you have a fallen nature. And you have free will to operate inside that nature. You can't choose outside that nature. You, you choose what's good for you, what you want to do inside that nature. When you come to Christ, now you have the nature of the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit within you. And you have free will to choose inside that nature. So do you have free will? Yes, according to your nature. So could Judas have chosen? Judas followed Christ and listened to him for three years. When this happens, he's remorseful. But remorse is not repentance. And we know that. We dealt with our children, and when we were children, our parents, we were remorseful a lot of times about what happened. It happens to us sometimes in our work, you know, with the people we deal with. We say things and do things we wished we hadn't, and now we're remorseful, but we're not repentant. We think, well, they deserved it. I just wished I hadn't said it publicly. <laughs> so, so, you know, so, you know, and it's not repentance. So, God is sovereign, and Judas acted out of his free will. Judas is responsible. God has commanded all men everywhere to repent. Uh, he had overlooked sin previously, Paul said in Romans 17, but now he's commanded all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day in which he's going to judge the world by him whom he raised from the dead. That's just a, and so he's saying every person is accountable. Every person is accountable for their choices. And so Judas fulfilled prophecy, but he still had a choice whether he would do it or not. And you say, Jerry, do you believe in an election? Absolutely, I believe in an election. I think the Bible teaches election. And so then that raises the question, if we're going to be real honest, could Judas have repented? Could he have repented? Or if he was not elect before the foundation of the world, could he not have repented? Could he, had no, could he had no option of repentance? Was he destined to be the betrayer and to go to hell and to burn for eternity in hell for his sin? Jesus said, whosoever will, let him come to me. Whosoever will, let him, let him believe. So, see, we can't answer that question. We can't answer that question. Man's responsibility is to repent. So Judas' responsibility was to repent. And I'm going to say to you this morning, had he repented, he would have been saved. You understand that? Had he repented, he would have been saved. And then there's the sovereignty of God on the other side. And our place is to acknowledge the sovereignty of God and worship because of it, that we have such a great God that he's beyond our understanding. And, and we can't fault him for his righteousness and his holiness. We worship Him for that. But at the same time, we as mankind have a responsibility to respond. Our responsibility is on us. Okay, I, I, can't, I can't go beyond that. That's all I know. And I, I hope, you, hope you can be satisfied with that in your heart. If, if you're not satisfied with that in your heart, you say, well, that's a, you know, that, that is a conflict in my mind. And I'm saying to you, accept it. Accept it and say to the Lord, I'm grateful you saved me. Wasn't my, you know, I, I, I wasn't deserving of it, but it was your grace. It was your grace that saved me, and I'm grateful. And I won't question your methods. And, and you will be just fine. <laughs> okay. Don't you love theology? I just love theology. 
you know what it does? It humbles you. It humbles you. It's like, Lord, I'm glad you're in charge. I'm glad you're in charge, and I'm glad you revealed yourself to us to some measure that, that we can follow you and that we can have confidence in following you. And see, that's what, when you look at the theological things, that's what it does for you. So now, Jesus is sent to Herod. Look in, look in Luke chapter 23. And in Luke chapter 23, and verse 4, we read this. When Pilate heard, verse, verse 5, it said that, that uh, they said to him, he stirs up all the people teaching throughout Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. Verse 6, then, when Pilate heard of the Galilee, he asked if the man were Galilean, and as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod, he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. So just a little bit of background. Herod was an under-ruler of the Jews with the authority of Rome. And uh, Herod was over Galilee. He wasn't over Jerusalem, but he was over Galilee. And that area. he had come to Jerusalem for the Passover. and had a palace there, so he came for the Passover. And he and, he and Pilate, we're going to learn from the text, had had some conflict, I guess probably over judicial matters previously to this. But so he sends him to Herod. He's going to get rid of him and say, I'm, I'm going to shed myself of this problem. Let Herod deal with him. And then we read this in <clears throat> verse 8. Now, when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him, because he had heard many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. Isn't that interesting? Pilate was just curious about Jesus. He had heard a lot about him. He had heard about the miracles that he had done, and he wanted to see a little magic himself. And so he looked forward to, to, to seeing him. And then verse 9, then he questioned him with many words, but he, Jesus, answered him nothing. You know, when Jesus stood before the Sanhedrin, he didn't respond to the charges. When he stood before Pilate, he interacted with Pilate to some degree because Pilate was asking him about his kingship and, and asking him if that were true. And so Jesus responded that that were true, that that was true, and had a little discourse about why he came as a king of a different kingdom and about him being truth. So he responded to Pilate because it was the legitimate question. And, and, and so, but when he comes for Herod, Herod has no legitimate interest. Herod is just curious, and Herod knows the law. He understands uh, what his responsibilities are. Before the Jewish law, he, 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 he's part Jew, he understands that. But he only wants Jesus to give him a show. And Jesus doesn't respond. You know, we would have, we would have said, you just wait. You, you, you're going to get yours, and you're going to get it for an awful long time. And am I going to be glad when that happens? You just wait. But Jesus doesn't respond. He's like a sheep before his shears. He doesn't respond at all. It's amazing the self-control that he humanly had in his life. I, I, you know, I think often of that proverb says that it's to a man's glory to overlook a fault. I have a hard time doing that. I like to point out faults. 
My wife can say amen to that. But it's to our glory. It's not just to a man, but it's to a woman's glory, too, to overlook a fault. And, and we have such a hard time. We want to vindicate ourselves. We want to justify ourselves. We want to argue the point. And, and Jesus didn't do that. He had no need to do that. He came for a different purpose. He didn't come to glorify himself at this moment. He came to glorify the Father. And if we could ever learn in our life that I, I want my life to glorify the Father in my day-to-day relationships, it would solve a lot of problems in our life. It would solve a lot of conflict in our personal relationships with each other. If, if our desire was to glorify the Father and not ourselves, and I'm preaching to myself here during this time. So he sends him to Herod. Herod's a despicable character. Uh, history bears that out. <clears throat> and Herod treats him despicably. Verse 10. And, and, and Herod questioned him, verse 9, but he answered nothing. The chief priest and scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod, with the men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in a, glory, in a, in a gorgeous robe, and sent him back to Pilate. And that very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for previously they had been at intimacy with each other. So now, he goes to Herod. Herod adds no charges. He brings no additional charges. He, he brings no accusation against Jesus. So he's, there's no recrimination about Jesus' life or ministry that comes from Herod. He's innocent. And it's recorded that he's innocent. So he goes back to Pilate for the second time now, and we find this in Matthew chapter 27. And again, let me tell you, you can go online and look at a harmony of the Gospels and read this account chronologically for yourself, if you'd like. Matthew chapter 27, verse 15. And now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished, and at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had excuse me, gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. And while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with this just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. Isn't that interesting? His Pilate's wife is saying he is a just man. Just means without condemnation. It means that he is without uh, an indictment against him. And so she's saying, I in my dream see that he is a just man. And Pilate probably now is under more pressure because his wife is saying this to him. It's really interesting that Matthew would put that in there. How did Matthew know that? <clears throat> was somebody in the crowd that, you know, Pilate read that out loud? Or is it revealed to him by Jesus in his uh, 40 days of ministry after that? I don't know. Uh, but it's the Word of God, and we know that it happened. So the governor, verse 21, answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. And Jesus said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And they all said to him, "Um, Let him be crucified. Then the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? 
And they all cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he uh, could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, see, he didn't want the tumult, he didn't want the riot to take place, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. <clears throat> no way does Pilate become innocent of the blood of this just person. Pilate is condemning him to death, and he's not innocent. You can go through all the symbolism you want. You can say, well, this is on you, but it wasn't on them. It was on Pilate. He shared in that responsibility. He, he, is, he, he is giving assent to something he knows is unjust. And he's doing it because of political pressure. He doesn't want a riot to take place. He's acting out of self-interest. And how often do we do the same thing? We who know Christ, we act out of self-interest instead of to the glory of God. I've already mentioned that to you, but, but we're seeing it then here in, in Pilate. Um, <clears throat> so where do we get to? Uh, look again in our text. Okay, and uh, he said, you see to it, verse 24, and verse 25, then all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. You know, it's really interesting to me that there's a lot of anti-Semitic feeling, Semitic feeling in the world today. Um, and a lot of people, uh, uh, and you know, when you read history, especially, you know, you go from World War I on, and... Uh, People have always resented the Jewish people. Not everybody, I'm not talking about that, but cultures have resented and blamed the Jewish people. And in Christian nations, it's been so, and they use this to justify it. They say, they put the Savior to death. They, and and they, they read this verse and others, but they say that they condemned Jesus to death. They put the Savior to death. They should be blamed. They should be blamed today, 2,000 years later. Uh, they are, uh, they're culpable of this, and, 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 and so they're guilty of other things because so we resent them, we despise them, and, and that feeling runs rampant. And when the Jews are successful, because God has his hand on them to some degree, even unregenerate, uh, and they become successful because they adhere to some biblical principles, People resent them even more. If you're a resentful person and somebody's doing better than you, you resent them simply for that, for no other, no other reason. Or you resent their happiness or their possessions or whatever. And so this has always been true. It's really interesting. But you know, I'm guilty of the death of Christ. My sin sent Christ to the cross. Your sin sent Christ to the cross. That's the reason He came into the world. The Jews were an instrument that God used. And had we been there, we probably would have cried out, crucify him as well. Now, why would this crowd choose Barabbas, who was an insurgent? That means he had guilty of sedition against the Roman government. He, he led an insurgency against the Roman government. Because the Jewish people hated the Roman government, and so it was easy for the, for the chief priests to to say to them, ask him to release Barabbas and not Jesus. Now, had it been the crowd from Judea, I mean from Galilee, 
who had gotten there and been a part of this trial, they would have said maybe something a little different because he healed their neighbors and their friends and their family members and he had, he, they knew him and he had fed them and, and, and they might have taken his side. But it didn't happen, probably because these people gathered were from Jerusalem and didn't know as much about him because he didn't spend as much time there in, in ministry. <clears throat> and so, when the people said in verse 25, let his blood be on us and on our children. You know, you read in Luke's Gospel... And, and Luke records that what they said, they said, and Jesus said to him, I mean, Pilate said, what shall I do then with your king? And they said, crucify him. They said, we have no king but Caesar. And they have had no king but Caesar after 70 AD. Uh, they had no king at that point in time. You know, they had Herod, but they had no king that really ruled them. And they will have no king until the millennial kingdom, when Christ comes and sets up his kingdom, will be the first time they have another king. So they pronounce prophecy upon themselves. Let his blood be upon us. And in 70 AD, his blood came upon them and resulted in their blood in being then. So they bear guilt. Uh, they bear guilt, but we bear their guilt as well. So we can't blame just them. But they were culpable and they bear a guilt. And then we read back in Mark chapter 15, what happens now? In Mark chapter 15 and verse 15, we read this. So Pilate, willing to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Pilate is willing to gratify the crowd. Three times now he had pronounced Jesus innocent. His wife had said he was a just person. Herod didn't bring an indictment. So he knows that he's a just person. He calls him a just person. And to say he's a just person means there's nothing that he's guilty of. And then he delivers him, not just to be crucified, but he delivers him to be scourged. And you know... You read about that's the with the Roman whip, and they had the little pieces of bone in the end of it, and pieces of metal, and it ripped your back open. And sometimes, if it came around your rib cage, it would rip open your stomach area, damage your organs, and a lot of people died from it. And, and it would it would cause you to, to if you if nothing was done for you, you'd bleed to death at some point in time. And it was it was terrible, terrible. And they used it to get people to confess. There was no confession needed here. This is just simply the evil of Pilate. He didn't have to do this. But he he did. It was nothing to him. Jesus is a just man, but Pilate, willing to please the crowd, scourged him and then sent him to be crucified. Not astounding. Man is wicked when it comes to... Unless they, unless they know Christ. Our nature is fallen. And it is Christ's nature within us that causes us to have some measure of decency. That's why in the tribulation, uh, and when the rapture takes place, prior to, I think prior to the tribulation, that's why our world's going to go crazy. Because the Holy Spirit's going to be taken, the presence of the Holy Spirit is going to be taken out. Then the Spirit will be at work 
but not in the people like us, and, and the restraint of evil will be removed. And it will be a wicked, wicked time. And you, you read of that in the book of Revelation, that the very first half, I believe, is man's inhumanity against man. And it will be a, a terrible time. So then <clears throat> we read about the, the mockery of what happens here in verse 16 of, of Mark 15. Then the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison, and they clothed him with purple. They twisted a crown of thorn, put it on his head, and they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him, and bowing the knee, they worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they, they, they took the purple off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him. So not only did they scourge him, but they mocked him. And, and, they, and they mocked him. It's unimaginable. They mocked him. And Jesus did that for us. Uh, it's just, it just astounding to me that that would be possible. Listen to what Isaiah, remember Isaiah 53? Just a little portion of it. He is despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. And that's just a portion of it. And Jesus did that for you. He did that for you. And, and as they, they sang, and then he sought you. Oh, he sought you. His grace sought you, followed you, until he captured your heart. I'm going to close with a note by an author called David English. <clears throat> and he, he talked about, I want to give you this a little bit, and he, he talked about the evil intent of each group represented. And I would say it's the selfish intent of each group represented. Selfishness makes us sin. Selfishness personally makes us sin against each other, against the Lord. And, and I recognize what happens here. The leaders of the Jewish nation feared their loss of place. They feared the Romans taking away their place if Jesus had his way. <clears throat> the crowd wanted an insurrectionist released from Rome that he might lead insurrection against Rome because they despised Rome. So, so they had their selfish reasons as well. Pilate had his fear of Rome, fear of Caesar, so he had his selfish reasons as well. And then David English says this, this story continues to have a relevance since the teaching, dying, rising, and ascending of Jesus are a constant rebuke to our human values and systems. <clears throat> Excuse me. Did you hear that? Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and resurrection, uh, ascension, is a rebuke to our human values and systems. Now, what are human values? This is contrast. He goes on and says, here's Christ's values. Here's the biblical value. Giving to gain, dying to live, measuring time by eternity, estimating greatness by the degree of lowly service, first being last and last first, and the meek inheriting the earth. And then he said, these do not simply cause, cause derision. They produce great anger. When the gospel is preached, 
the gospel of humility, the gospel of dying to give, all those things that he just listed, and people won't receive it, it produces anger. It produces anger. And then I put a footnote to what he said of my own. And I say, for we who know Christ as Savior and are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, when we do not live out those principles, it produces great guilt within us. And we live with that guilt. And that guilt makes us do hateful things. That guilt creates chaos in our lives, in our heart, and in our relationships, and in our world. So let us be like Christ. Let us follow His example. Let, let us humble ourselves. How could He do that? He did it because He had purpose. He had a greater purpose. And we do too. If we just think on and, and remember it and, and ask God to help us, pray with me. Our Father, we thank You as we spent this time. Lord, we thank You for the theology behind what Christ did. Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to be grateful. Lord, Lord, help us to remember when we're facing temptation that Christ faced it before us, that He was, was, was willing to suffer, that we might have a choice, Lord, that we might choose the good, uh, even if it's not expedient. Lord, help me to remember that. Help these good folks remember that. And might we glorify You in our choices. We praise you and thank you for the Lord Jesus, for his love for us, and that he pursued us with his love. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, God bless you. See you in church.